pledge to Him my faith. Bound by duty to His cross, I could obey. But the love I found is compelling me to serve Him from a heart that's been redeemed. I will give my all, every breath of life, to the highest call, for the love of Christ, every offering, every sacrifice, I will do it all, for the love of Christ. May I never serve a heart of fear, thinking only that the end is drawing near. Oh, but Lord, I pray that in all I do, I'd be driven by a heart that pleases you. I will give my all, every breath of Every sacrifice, I will do it all for the love of Christ. No greater motivation, no other would suffice. My one and only reason remains the love of Christ, of Christ. I will give my all, every breath of I will do it all for the love of Christ. I will do it all for the love of Christ. Amen. I trust we'll do it all for the love of Christ and not for any other reason. Obviously... Uh, there's a number of other things that are accomplished in the midst of it all, but when we have that straight, we've got it all you know, working in the right direction. All right, well, let's take our Bibles tonight. Turn over to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13. We're going to start there. We're going to deal tonight with, um, again, biblical missions. We're moving into our missions emphasis over the next two weeks. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about biblical missions. And tonight I want to focus primarily on philosophy. All right, it's going to be a little bit informal. It's not going to really be so you know, this, that, and point A, B, C, and all that. Now, there'll be some of that. But I, I want to just share some philosophy. I want you to try to understand where I stand on it. I want you to understand where, as a church, and where, as a, uh, a, where the Bible stands on some things. <clears throat> so we're going to take a look at some of that <clears throat> along the way. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Let's go ahead and read that together. I'll read aloud, and, and you read silently, if you would, please. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says here in verse 1, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manan, uh, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. 
When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed from Seleucia. <clears throat> and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. So we have here in the book of Acts chapter 13, we have the Apostle Paul, of course, being sent out. Barnabas as well. And they're going forth and they're going to uh, do the work of God. Okay, And they're going to minister to a people uh, throughout uh, Asia Minor. Now, again, what kind of man, when we think about this, we think, what kind of man was Saul? What kind of man was this guy? Well, we think about characteristics or qualities that he may have possessed. And uh, what we do find in Acts chapter 13, verse 9, just a few verses down, is that the Bible says, Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. We see that he's filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, if I want to really understand who this guy is, and I want to understand the kind of qualities and characteristics that he possesses, I probably can run back then because I noticed this really important point, filled with the Holy Ghost. I know of some other men that were filled with the Holy Ghost also in the book of Acts. We find them in chapter 6, the deacons. So let's go back and look at Acts chapter 6 real quick and see what kind of characteristics and qualities they possess. And I think we're going to come to a conclusion that probably the Apostle Paul had at least those characteristics and qualities and I'm sure probably a number of others as well. But let's note those men there in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not... Re it <clears throat> it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, <clears throat> look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now notice once again a couple of the characteristics and qualities that we note of these disciples, which uh, ultimately would be basically the first deacons, if you would. Now, notice there, of honest report. We're getting a little bit of a ring, brother, just a little bit here. <clears throat> and I think it's coming over here. Now, again, I might just be hearing it. You may not. Anybody hearing a ring over there from time to time? Just want to make sure, because I'm not going to do anything about it if nobody hears it. I'll just pretend it's not there. Okay. All right. <clears throat> so anyway, don't worry about it, fellas. Apparently they can't hear it. <clears throat> I have dog-like hearing. So anyway... They're of honest report. Notice this. They're of honest report. What do you think that means? Can somebody tell me what they think that means? What do you think that means? I want to see a hand, though. I don't want you just yelling out. Can they tell me? This is class. Yeah, in the back. Okay, they got a good testimony, an honest report. Probably among the lost, the saved. Sure. What kind of character do you think that implies then? You know, they got an honest report among the lost, the saved. They probably are, are pretty honest men then, right? I mean, that honesty would probably be high on their, their list of traits, wouldn't it? <clears throat> so you, they're honest people here. They're full of the Holy Ghost. You see that? <clears throat> full of the Holy Ghost. And that's important. We noted that with Paul. He was full of the Holy Ghost. i got to believe he was of honest report too, don't you think? And so we have this full of the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm, I'm having a hard time. And then also, notice they're full of wisdom. Full of wisdom. Okay, so these men are of honest report, they're full of the Holy Ghost, they're full of wisdom. That's who the Apostle Paul was, too. We see the Apostle Paul, <clears throat> we could say he was that kind of man as well. I don't think anybody in the room would argue that. He's at least that much, 
because that's what the deacons were. And Paul the Apostle is going to now go forth as God's representative throughout the world, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. He at least possesses those three qualities at best, at least, if not more even. So honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom. How do you measure up? How are you looking right now? When you consider yourself against those three qualities, how are you doing? Okay, now think about that for just a minute. <clears throat> are you of honest report? <clears throat> Can I go to the lost that know you, to the saved that know you, and hear a good testimony or a response from them about you and your life and how you respond to circumstances and situations? <clears throat> Would I hear from all your business transactions, those that you have borrowed money from, those that you owe, that, that owe you money, those that in dealing with your personal finances, and dealing with your personal interrelationships, what I hear from people, they're honest. They're honest. <clears throat> would, I, would the government, would the IRS tell me they're honest? Would they? Okay. How about full of wisdom? That, you know what that means? That's proper application of knowledge. You apply the knowledge of God. You apply the, the things that you learn in the Word of God properly. Do you, do you make good use of that information, that knowledge? <clears throat> okay, that's just those are some questions. Now that's the kind of man that the Apostle Paul was. The Apostle Paul eventually is what we would ultimately look at as probably one of the first missionaries. You know, he's one of the, the guys we see him being sent out to do the work of God. And we go, boy, you want to follow a, min uh, a missionary? You want to consider, you know, how we ought to respond as mi in missions today? We're going to go back to the New Testament. We're going to go back to the book of Acts. We're going to look at Paul and his journeys and that gives us a good, a good idea of what kind of uh, job a missionary is to do. Okay? I mean, that's just the way it works. So, <clears throat> anyway, with that said then, if Paul's a good example of maybe what a missionary might have been, I'm sure there's somebody who would argue that. Everybody wants to argue something. But the majority would probably agree that Paul's a pretty good example of a missionary. So, uh, we're going to go to the book of Acts then, and we're going to figure out what we need to do then. Acts chapter 17. Turn there if you would, please. Now, again, the, the book of Acts is, as we said already, is, is, is not a, a book that we, you know, utilize for a doctrinal creed. I mean, obviously, we understand that it's a transitional book. We noted that already <clears throat> in our last study. But still, we can learn a lot of things. We can glean from it. We can grow from it. And so let's see what we can learn here when we consider the philosophy of biblical missions. The philosophy of biblical missions. And that's what we want to look at tonight. So we want to consider the philosophy of biblical missions. Who better to learn it from? Then the Apostle Paul, and, and just from the Word of God itself. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll read chapter 17, at least through verse 10, and then we'll continue with our message tonight. Father, <clears throat> again, we thank you for this time together. Excuse me, Brother Cody, would you stand and pray for us, would you? All right, Acts chapter 17, verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis, <laughs> Amphipolis, there we go, and Apollonia, whatever, <clears throat> Apollonia, what's his name? Thank you. I appreciate that, brother. I needed that. They came, I like, I like that. Okay, and came to Thessalonica. There was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul, as the manner was, went in unto them, 
and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. <clears throat> three Sabbath days. You see that? <clears throat> three Sabbath days. How many is three Sabbath days? Well, it would be at least three Saturdays, correct? Now, again, he's, he's dealing with Jews here, and he's reasoning with them concerning Christ, as we're going to see. So at least three Saturdays, at least three Saturdays there. He did that three Saturdays. Notice what it goes on to say. <clears throat> it says, um, verse 3, Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great a multitude, and of the chief women not a few. Meaning there was a number of, of, of very important ladies that believed as well, very influential ladies. Uh, verse 5, But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people." And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, These have turned the world upside down, or come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decree of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto the Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. <clears throat> now some have stated, obviously, from the scriptures, that Paul was there at least three weeks. Okay, there is three Sabbaths. So he could have been there upwards of three, four weeks, really, almost. If he, say, he arrived on Sunday, he could have stayed till the Saturday, and then he could have stayed through... Saturday, and then he could stay through Saturday, and then he could have left on the following Friday. So he could have been there theoretically almost a month, could have been there three weeks, could have been there as short as almost two weeks if it's three Sabbaths. Then there are others that said that's impossible because a church is established here in, in, this, in Thessalonica. So there's no way that he could have established this church in three weeks. There's no way he could have preached the gospel, won people to Christ, and then all of a sudden built them up, trained them up, prepared them to fly on their own and him take off and go to Berea, and their church remains sturdy, strong. I don't know. All I know is what the Bible says. That's all I know, okay? I don't know if he was there longer or not because the Bible doesn't tell me anything other than he was there three Sabbaths. So that's what I do know. And what I also know is that the church remained and the church did indeed reproduce itself ultimately. And we note that God blessed the church at Thessalonica. Ultimately, there were two books even written or letters written to the church at Thessalonica by the Apostle Paul, First and Second Thessalonians. So we have that. You say, well, what about the pattern? Well, I believe that what we'll find is that modern missions is basically based on what took place even there in Thessalonica. And, and let me give it to you. I'm going to share it with you real quick. Let's note the pattern real fast. First of all, there is a birth. There's a birth. Second, it's built. You birth it, you build it, then three, you equip it. And four, you exit. There it is. Amen. Okay, there, there it is. You birth it, you build it, you equip it, and then you exit. Okay, at least that's what happened there. Okay, now again, that's a biblical, that's a biblical pattern. Now, I'm going to show you both. And then there's another, another side of this. And I think, and I'm just going to say this, based on where we're at in, in missions today and where we're at in our world, 
I believe that there's another pattern. You say, whoa, 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 we're going to deviate from the Bible? No, not really. Listen to what I'm going to say this. you got to birth it, build it, equip it, and then expand it. Now, I'm going to show you both of those real quickly because I believe in either one of these. I have no problem with either one. But a missionary has to do one of the two usually or we got a problem. <clears throat> Let me show you how it works. <clears throat> Brother Cody, stand up for just a minute, would you? <clears throat> right? Jake, I'm going to need you as well. I need you, Josh. Um, let me see. we got any young guys around here? Where all our, our, where's everybody at tonight anyway? But anyway, Dean, why don't you come on up here too real quick? Come on up. I'll just use these guys, I guess. We'll work on it. Come on up, Dean. Just come on. Sit up right here for just a second in the front. <clears throat> okay, we got Cody, all right? Here's how it works, all right? We're going to birth the church. You can have a seat, Dean. I'm going to birth it with Cody. I'm, I'm the missionary. I'm Paul the Apostle. I go out, say to Thessalonica, wherever it might be. He represents Thessalonica. Come on over here, Thessalonica. Here a church is birthed. The gospel is given. People are saved. Lives are transformed and changed. Okay? The preaching goes forth. The response is, I want Christ. Bam! We got ourselves people that are saved. They organize. They're together. They're Christians. And they recognize that they need trained. We begin to train and teach them, disciple them. Okay? So we, we, we are doing some things here. We're, we're going to equip this church. So, first of all, we birth it. We show up. We actually we, we, um, uh, reach the world. We, we're now going to build it. So, we're going to preach by winning souls and building the church now. And then we're going to teach. And now, now we're going to, so, so now we're going to equip these guys. So teaching and sharing the word of God with him. Here it is, the church. It's there, Thessalonica, wherever it may be. All right? Then all of a sudden, he is flying on his own now. The church is flying on its own. There are men, there are women that are solid in their faith. They believe the Lord Jesus Christ. They've got it ground. They're grounded in their beliefs and their convictions. They've got some things settled. And I move on over here, and I go to Corinth. It's birthed. I've reached out. Now all of a sudden, not only are reaching out, but now we're going to build this thing. How we do that by people being saved through the preaching of the word of God. People are being saved. It's growing. It's being built. Then we're going to equip them. We're going to make sure that they're being taught teaching of the Word of God, the, the, the teaching, grounding them in their faith, their beliefs. You grounded? Yeah. Got it together? The church is solid. Time to move on. Going to go to <clears throat> Akron, Ohio. There we go again. Reaching out with the gospel. Now we're going to preach the gospel, we're going to teach the gospel. Grounding them. There it is. Time to move on. Now hold on. We see that taking place. So the Apostle Paul's doing. But but here, here's another way that I think is okay. Remember I said exit? Well, we've been exiting. But but what can also happen is this. He goes to Thessalonians. Say, say we go to Akron, Ohio. He goes to Akron, Ohio. You know, reaching out with the gospel. Preaching the word of God and building the church now. So we've birthed, we've built, and now we're going to go ahead and we're going to equip this thing. So we're going to teach this, this church. We're going to teach the people. We're going to begin to ground them in the things of Christ. Now what's going to happen now is I'm going to go, you know what? I'm seeing some success here. God's blessing. People are being saved. They're being equipped. And so 
Come on over here, Dean. I stick around here, and we just choose to expand now. Tell you what, Dean, did you get it all? Do you figure it out while you were here? Go on over there and start your church. Stop. Now, Dean's going to do what? Dean's going to birth. Dean's going to build. Dean's going to um, equip. And then all of a sudden, come on over here, Jake. Go over there. Eventually, what happens to Dean? Dean says, you know what? You figured it all out, buddy? You got that handled church? Going out there and start another one. I'm right where I've been. He's right where he's been. And each of us is going to start sending people out from our ministry that have been taught, trained in our church. Okay, now, it can work one of two ways with missionaries. Some missionaries go to a foreign field and they feel led to do like the Apostle Paul. Go and start a church and then eventually birth it, build it, equip it, and then move on. Exit it. Okay? Now, and then, then what they do is they go from place to place doing that process, <clears throat> which is biblical. <clears throat> then they go back from time to time and say, how you doing? Got any problems? Checking up on you. Everything going good? You got my number. Call me if you got a problem, but I'll be in contact with you too. And move into the next church. So how's it going, man? You doing well? Just checking on you. Got any problems I can help you with? Any concerns? Let's pray together. Let's keep building together. Now listen, I'm not in charge of those churches. They are. They're indigenous. They have to become indigenous. It's not for me to have this group of men dependent on me the rest of their ministry. The goal is for them to become indigenous, stand alone on themselves, self-supportive, self-governing, But that's the biblical principle that we see with Paul. Eventually, Paul goes back and he visits these churches, but he does not run the churches. They have their own pastors that he tells them to to, to put elders in place. Why? To rule the people. So that he's not doing that. He's just checking up. He's encouraging. He's continuing to help maybe even equip some of the pastors to a better degree. But he's not ruling in the church. He's not the lording over the ministry or the church. So it works that way. Or, as we said already, he stays here forever. And he begins maybe a little Bible institute. Or maybe he just has a little teaching in a school or a college of sorts. And he just begins to send men out to other areas. And then those guys do the same thing. Okay, you guys can be seated. I'm sorry, I didn't use all of you. But I used, I used Brother Dean, didn't I? <clears throat> he was worried up back there. He didn't know if he should come forward or not. Now he knows why, but... <clears throat> Those are, the, those are the paths. So we're birthing, we're building, we're equipping, and then we're either exiting or we're going to expand our ministries. I, I don't personally see anything wrong with either one of those. Now, I, I biblically, you say, well, but in the Bible, they always went from place to place to place. That, that's fine. I have no problem with that. The only, the only thing I have a problem with is this. What I'm finding is in, 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 in foreign missions is that there's not a very good base, and it's taking people way too long to establish leadership in these churches. And, and I, I, have, I have some ideas of why that's happening, okay? But, but that's not for tonight, okay? But, but the fact is, is that we have to be very careful. And I think that sometimes for a man to go to a, a place and stay and begin to send out people from the ministry there and I guess if you would pastor that church and begin to send out. Now, I'm talking about earlier stages in, in missions, but we see that. It can be productive, and it can produce, okay? 
<clears throat> but the Apostle Paul's picture is always, it, it's always the same. It's always birth, build, equip, and exit. We see him doing that, okay? Now, the problem is people are exiting ministries before they establish them. That's where the trouble's coming. And so they've got 12 people and they're leaving to start another church because it looks better in their prayer, prayer card or their prayer uh, letter. Started four churches already. Really? That's wonderful. You think of a church like you're in today. And there might only be eight or ten people there, and they're lucky to have them show up. But I got some... Well, who's, who's running the church? Well, I had an American missionary come in, and now they're running that one. Well, that's not starting churches. You got an American... If I'm an American missionary, and I start a church on the field, and another American missionary comes in and runs it, I did not start a church, a biblical church. A national needs to be running that church or it's not been handled biblically. And that's where we're making, that's where things are getting messed up today. We're not seeing the nationals running the ministries. We got, if we're not careful, American missionaries are running ministries and then they're inviting other people to come and help them run their ministries. And then they'll they'll say, we've got five churches started. We got five American missionaries making whatever it costs to put them on the field when you got their own people that aren't doing anything to reach their people. The goal is to get the people in that area to reach that area. See, Paul went to Thessalonica. Why did he go to Thessalonica? He passed right on by other cities. Why did he pass by those cities? I'll tell you why. Because they were smaller. You say, well, that's not right. Didn't they need the gospel too? Yes, they did. But you know what the Apostle Paul understood? If he reached Thessalonica with the gospel, Thessalonica would send men to those smaller villages and cities and reach them with the gospel. So he had a strategy. I'm going to the bigger city, and then in the bigger city, they'll reach more people, send them out to reach those smaller villages and smaller cities. Does that mean that somebody can't go to the backwoods of Africa somewhere and little villages and try to win people to Christ? No. If God calls them to do that, more power to them. But I'll tell you, if I was going, what I would do, I know what I would do, I'd go to a big city. I'm going to reach as many people as I can, and I'm going to start churches and send men out to go start churches. Now, again, I'm not saying they're not doing that. I'm saying, though, that we're seeing some, some problems lately. And, and this is the biblical pattern. This is how it's supposed to work. So if we got a missionary that's not reproducing, ultimately, that or at least doesn't have that as their main goal. If their goal is just to go somewhere and pastor a church, we're wasting our time. Reproduction is everything. It's everything. It's everything. And if, if, we're, if, if, we, get, if, we, you know, if we get too tied down to one area, we got problems. And we're not willing to move at any moment to go forward as soon as that thing gets established. And man, if a missionary, can you imagine if you're on the field and some guy comes to you in your church and says, Preacher, I have such a burden for these people here in the city. And you say, well, brother, good for you. I'm pastor here. I'm just saying, I mean, if if he was really going to do a bang-up job, I might probably would move on let him do the bang-up job and just keep tabs on it. You know what I'm saying? I think I'd let him do his job. Good for you. Are you prepared to start training others to send them out and to filter through this city as well as others? Absolutely. Well, I think I'll go to another big city then. Let him take care of that city and I'll go to another one. I'm just saying, biblically, that's the kind of thing we see taking place here. Now, there's all kinds of philosophies. Everybody has ideas. 
But again, this is when I consider the philosophy. When I look at missionaries, I want somebody with a heart that wants to see nationals saved, nationals pastoring. That's it. If their goal is not to see a national pastoring, the church they start, i got a problem with that. I do. i got a problem with it. But anyway, that's all right. You don't have to agree. Nobody has, we don't have to agree on everything, but biblically it sure seems that that's what the Apostle Paul did. But there has to be nationals pastoring. They have to pastor. They have to pastor. And um, so there you go. So anyway, that's the goal. Now, that process is going to demand something. You know what the process demands more than anything else? Here we go. Now this is going to get real fun. It demands faithful men. Faithful men. The Bible says, turn if you would to 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. We wonder where the breakdown is in Christianity today. We wonder where the breakdown is in, in missions and in pastor and in church planning in America. This is it right here. This is the breakdown. This is where our problem exists. Right here. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Well, let me say this too. There are ministries in the United States. I like take Brother Fred's, for instance. Brother Fred's with Rock of Ages, okay? They're reaching of people. It's not, it's a little bit different. I don't, I, don't, I don't think it's unscriptural to reach prisoners for Christ, do you? Do I think that local churches should be more involved in some of that? Yeah, should we? Probably. There are some limitations now, though. There's so many regulations and restrictions, and sometimes a ministry like Rock of Ages has the ability to get into places that we can't. Why? Because they've established themselves with even government agencies. It's, ma- it's really kind of amazing what they have done through the years. And so that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's a different, a very specific type of at-home type of a mission. I have had men come to me and hand me a brochure and say, I'm a missionary to the, to the um, um, nursing homes of America. I said, well, what does that mean? Well, I'm going to come in your church and I'm going to help churches start nursing home ministries. You're kidding me, right? Let's see, are there restrictions on ministry in nursing homes? I mean, let's see, do you have to go through government agencies? Do you have to go through bureaucracy? Is there some hurdle that you have to jump in order to somehow get into a nursing home? Not that I'm aware of. So what are we going to pay you thousands of dollars for? To do what? To do what our people in our church at least are already doing? I want to do a nursing home today. I didn't need nobody to show me how to do that. Just had to care about people. Right. Amen. Now, now listen. I'm not. I'm not. Listen. I don't. I don't think that's what God intended for missions to be. You know. I. I don't. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't. Don't think so. I, I think He needs to just go ahead and say, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and go out and plant churches somewhere, or I'm going to go around the world and try to reach people with the gospel and get nationals to eventually reach their people with the gospel. Praise the Lord. I think I might consider supporting you. I say, you are heartless. You're ruthless. You know? <laughs> I want biblical. I want, I want God to bless the community of Baptist Temple. Right, amen. What, what, what if we did that? What if we just said, you know what? We never want to grow here. We never want to start any other churches out of this ministry. We never want to reproduce ourselves. We're content where we're at. As long as I get a paycheck, as long as things go good, I'm, I'm satisfied. Well, how would that feel? That wouldn't be biblical, nor would it be scriptural, would it? So why is it okay to go on the foreign field and have that as your goal? To establish a church and run it for the rest of your life and take it easy. 
That shouldn't be your goal. Oh, well. Preacher, you're so mean. Before someone can be... Watch this now. We need faithful men then. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. What was one of the main aspects of this... This, uh, this church planting, well, you have to birth it, you have to build it, you have to equip. Well, equipping is teaching. So they have to be apt to teach, the Bible says. So faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. The big disparity, the, the gap where we're having a problem is that we don't have faithful men, right? Here's my problem. and I'm just going to be very honest with you. Our problem today isn't that we, here's what we're trying to do. We are trying to equip men to be faithful, but we don't have any men. See, we've got to turn people, turn boys into men first before you can make men faithful. You've got to have faithful men, but you have to start with men first. And today in America, we're struggling finding men. That's our real problem in church planning. That's our real problem in missions today. We don't have men. Now listen, I'm not talking about male gender. I'm talking about men in character. So... Let me ask you a question today. And this is where I told you it was going to get fun. I only have a few minutes, but let me take a few minutes. Could God call you into the ministry today, sir? Could he call you in the ministry today? Well, let's find out. First of all, are you a man, number one? You say, yes, I am. Okay, well, then let's deal with it this way. Do you possess character? Do you possess character? I'm talking about are you disciplined in your life? Are you disciplined? I mean, does anybody have to tell you to read your Bible and pray? Does anybody have to tell you to memorize Scripture? Does anybody have to tell you to be faithful in God's house? Does anybody have to tell you where you should be, what you should be doing, when you should be doing it? You say, well, I'm not, I mean, I'm kind of lazy. Then you're not equipped for ministry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, we're so nice to everybody. Everybody... Everybody passes today. Everybody gets a trophy. This is God's work. And so what do we do? If we're not careful, we send people that are faithful, that are fulfilling a set of requirements that have no character whatsoever. And we put them in charge of a group of people and call them pastor. And then when they obliterate themselves, they take everybody with them. Disciplined. What about dependable? Are you dependable? That means are you predictable? Do people know how you're going to respond to circumstances, situations? Do people know where you're going to land on subjects and issues? Are, are you dependable? Can, when, when, when you say you're going to be somewhere, are you there? When you take a position or a job, are you there? Whether it's at the church, whether it's in the world, whether it's in your family, what, no matter what it is, I mean, are you, are you dependable? Not do you think you're dependable either. Let's ask your wife, are you dependable? Let's ask your children. Let's ask your parents. Let's ask, let's ask maybe some of your friends. Let's ask some of the ministry leaders at the church you thou serve in. See, you've got to be a man to be a faithful man. And if we're going to be effective in church planting and in missions work, we have to have some men who we can train to be faithful who ultimately are able to go out and do the work of the ministry. Disciplined, dependable. How about diligent? You diligent? You hard worker? 
Has anybody got to get you out of bed? Mommy, after you're 25 years old still, get up, you got to go to work. Get up, get up. Is that how it is? Wait a second. A man possesses character. Boys don't. You got to train them to be have character. You got to raise them up to have character. But a man has some character. See, you know, we have people who call themselves men today who sleep with a girl, have a baby, and then don't want to help raise it or marry the girl. And you say, he's not much of a man. You're right, he's not one at all. There's no character. He is a male in gender, but he is not a man in character. Oh, I'll live with you, but don't ask me to commit to you and marry you. That's not being a man. You say, he can whoop you. I, it has nothing to do with your strength, your ability, your, your power. It has to do with your character. We're talking about sending people overseas and, and living in an environment where they're alone by themselves, where nobody really can hold them accountable in reality. They better have some character. Nobody had to get me up this morning. Nobody had to get me to that hospital at 7 or 6.30 in the morning yesterday. Listen to me. It doesn't matter how little sleep I get. There are needs that need met. That takes character. It's not about convenience anymore. And that is exactly what we're running into today in our churches is we lack character. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to make people faithful before they ever are men. So we're always having to stand over them. Come on, be in church. Come on, read your Bible. Come on, pray. Come on, how are you doing on your... Oh, today men need accountability. Yeah, I understand all that. Let me tell you something. What accountability are you going to have over on that mission field all by yourself? You better have some accountability with God in your own conscience, your own convictions. If you're depending on your home pastor to do it, it won't happen. Well, my wife will help me. Oh, well, that goes to the next question then. Are you a man? Do you possess character? Number two, do you possess leadership? God expects men to be leaders. Are you, one, compassionate? You know what that means? That means to be concerned about others above self. Compassionate. Do you put others first? Are you compassionate toward people? Leaders have to be compassionate. They have to have compassion for people. Number two, are you conscientious? Are you aware of the needs of others? Or does it always escape you? You know, you know it's amazing to me when, when a couple come to my office and a guy says, I didn't know she was having any problems. I didn't know there was any... Con- I thought things were great. I thought they were wonderful. You know what the problem is? He's not a leader. Oh, did I just say something I'm not allowed to say? Did I actually speak the truth for once? Yeah. Listen, a leader is conscientious. A leader is looking over things. A leader is aware of what's going on around them. A leader doesn't just go through life and let everybody else live, and they just kind of coast. 
I'm not saying you got it all figured out. I'm not saying you don't get blindsided from time to time. But something as important as what God tells you to, to know your wife? Are you kidding me? You can literally go to work, come home, and never interact enough to even know whether or not she's having any concerns or problems, and you think you're leading? I'm not saying you can figure it all out, and I'm not even saying that you can fix all her problems. But you ought to know there is one, because leaders are conscientious. They're aware of the needs of others. They're considerate. They're inconvenienced, even, as we say, for the sake of others. They're very considerate, so considerate that they're inconvenienced for others. And finally, they're, they're confident. Leaders are confident. You say, what do you mean? Oh, confident. There we go. Pride, arrogance. No, they possess the mind of Christ. And therefore, they know where he wants them to go and what he wants them to do. That's what I'm talking about. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. Our sufficiency is of God. So David understood what God wanted. He goes out there to meet Goliath and he says, you're going down, big boy. And everybody says, oh, he's so cocky. He's so prideful. He's so arrogant. He's so pompous. No, he was confident because he believed in God and God had led him and directed him and he had great faith in the God he served. That's a good confidence. Men, if we're going to be men, godly men, we need confidence then in the things of Christ. We know it's possessed the mind of Christ. Well, I'm a man. Well, how's your uh, confidence? Do you know where God wants you to go? Do you have direction and leadership from the Lord and the Word of God? Do you know how to lead your family? Do you know how to lead your wife? Do you know how to lead? Are, where are you going? Where are you taking them? Where are you going, first of all? Well, I don't know where I'm going. Then you can't possibly be leading anyone. Are you a man? Do you possess character? Do you possess leadership? That's the first thing. If we are going to be effective in birthing, building, equipping, then we must be men. Because only men can be faithful men. Number two, okay, are you a man? You say, can I be, can God call me into the ministry today? Well, then if you can, then you possess character. That means you possess leadership. Number two, then, are you a leader of your home? Hmm. 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5. Let's turn there real quick. I didn't say this was going to be fun or easy, but I told you it's going to be helpful. Amen. This needs taught at every Bible college in America. We have so bought into the lie that the ministry is a profession. It's just another job. That's, That's a lie. And we're asking these young men to go across overseas with women, young ladies, and they don't even know what being a leader is. They don't have them don't even know what being a man is. And we're expecting them to succeed on their own 2,000, 5,000, 12,000 miles away. No wonder, no wonder missionaries come back after the first tour and don't go back as a whole. We blame the women all day long, but I think it starts with the men. are you a leader in your home look at 1 Timothy 3, 4 and 5 talking about the qualifications for a pastor I would have to believe that if you're going to be a missionary in in a sense you're going to have to in a sense pastor a church to a point 
then some of these qualities and characteristics are going to be a part of this. The Apostle Paul, some said that he was married at one point. He was now single. He's starting this church. See, the Apostle Paul didn't hang around and do the second part. Remember I said that there were some signs where you, 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 um, oh, my mind just went blank. You birth, you build, you equip, then you expand. Paul couldn't do that. He could not pastor the church because he didn't meet the qualification for pastor. You got to be the husband of what? You have to be a husband of one wife. See, I don't believe a single guy can pastor a church. I don't, I don't see it in Scripture. Right. He's got to have a wife. So he says, well, I don't agree with that. Well, then do whatever you want. But I'm just telling you, the Bible says, look what it says. Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the things, oh, wrong one. First Timothy 3, 4, and 5. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know how to, uh, uh, man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Now, a single guy doesn't have a household. He just lives wherever he puts his head. You know what I'm saying? He's, he doesn't have to rule his house. He is the house. Okay, so, I mean, that too. And then also it says the husband of one wife earlier. But nonetheless, look at this guy. He's one that ruleth well his own house. What does it mean to rule? What does it mean to rule? And please don't somebody stand up and say, to tell people what to do. Duh, that's not what it is. What does it mean to rule? <laughs> So anybody? Yeah, Dean? Manage. To manage it. Yeah, to direct it. Yeah, absolutely. you got to take charge of it, right? Absolutely. That, that's about as basic and simple as we can get. And the word rule does have a tendency to be saying I'm overseeing everything. Got my, got my hand in it. I, I know what's going on. He ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Wow. There you go. How you doing with that, guys? Your children in subjection, surrender, submitted to you? The Bible be, is very clear that there is no man that ought to be pastoring or going forth to begin ministry, continue in ministry, that doesn't have his own household in order. If he doesn't direct and rule his children well, how in the world is he going to rule the children of God? That's what the Bible says. For if a man, verse 5, know not how to rule his own house, if he can't deal with his wife, if he doesn't know how to handle his children, if he can't get his children to obey, to follow, how in the world is he going to direct the church of God? If he can't manage financially his home, if he can't make sure they're not out of bankruptcy every other seven years, if he can't deal with the finances, he can't deal with the, the, the stress of the relationships, the, I can't deal with this, this is too much for me. Please don't become a pastor. Don't even try yet. You're not going to make it. People say, that's not right. You, you know, you're telling, saying you're all that. No, I'm telling you what the Bible says. You tell me I'm wrong. You show me after the service where the man can be a, a mess in his home, where he doesn't have to be a good father, he doesn't have to be a good husband, he doesn't have to rule his house well, he doesn't have to have a handle on the finances, he can go ahead and just spend money ever he chooses, keep his wife and his children in upheaval continually, and still somehow believe that he's going to be successful in the ministry. Show me that in the Bible. The leader in the home 
Are you, as a leader in home, are you setting the example? He's setting the example. Do you read your Bible? Do you pray? Do you care about spiritual matters? Are you the, setting an example of a, the spirit that you desire in your home? I know a wife sets the spirit of a home, and, and there's something to that. Don't misunderstand me. I know that. I'm very fortunate with that situation. My wife's not like this. She doesn't do a roller coaster ride in emotions. Very fortunate to have this right here. But let me tell you something. Somebody's got to keep everybody here. You know who that is? The leader. That means that's the man, not the wife, the man. He's responsible for it. If he's fortunate enough and blessed enough to have a wife like this, well, that just makes his job a little bit easier. But the reality is, he's still responsible for that. <clears throat> Setting the example. B, steering the ship. Who's really steering the ship? Got a decision to make in this household. Hey, I'm all for it. You need, you're, you are out of your mind, sir, if you, don't listen, if you don't listen to your wife and say, Honey, here's where we're at. This is the situation we find ourselves in. I need, I'd like to hear what you think about this. I, I, I want your input. She's your helpmeet, isn't she? She ought to be able to contribute something, obviously, or God wouldn't have given her to you. I want to hear what she has to say. Doesn't necessarily mean she's going to pull the trigger. Doesn't mean she's going to steer the ship. No, not at all. You're going to steer it. And you know who's going to be responsible for the mess that you get in if you get in the mess? You. Well, she told me we should do this. Too bad you're responsible to steer it. So you just steered it right into a mess. You have no one to blame but yourself, gentlemen, when your home's falling to pieces. Because you've made bad decisions. Now, I'm not saying that a wife can't make decisions on her own and create a total chaos and confusion in the home. But I am saying that if because of your bad decisions, your home and families and upheaval, you have steered it incorrectly and landed it in a very unstable place. <clears throat> a leader in the home, setting the example, steering the ship. Are you sought for advice? Are you sought? Does your wife come to you for advice? Do your children come to you for advice? Do they see any wisdom in you that prompts them, moves them, motivates them to want to hear what you have to say about an issue? Because if not, maybe you're really not leading at all. Now, this is what we're looking for in the ministry. Men. Not just men, though, but men that are leaders in their homes. And that's what God uses to birth, to build, to equip, and ultimately either expand or exit. That's what He uses. We have lowered the bar today because we have so little character in our culture. We have taken whatever we can get and tried to mold it into what God wants it to be. But you can't mold people into men. They've got to somehow get a hold of that. I've come to that conclusion. I can't teach you how to be a man. I can show you what it means to be a man, but ultimately you're going to have to make up your mind to be one. And that's what we're looking for, for men, that then can be trained and taught. Men that say, I'm going to be faithful. Then we take those faithful men of God, and they are prepared now to be called. Those are the men we're looking for. Those are the men that 
are of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and full of wisdom. And that's what missions is built on. The philosophy of missions is dependent on that element. I have a third one. Are you mature in your faith? Talking about, can God call you into ministry? Here they are, real quick. Are you grounded in your beliefs? That means you can give chapter and verse to back up your position. Well, I'm ready to be called to ministry. No, you're not. If you can't do that, that's what every Christian ought to be able to do. That's what a man of God should be able to do, whether he's called to ministry or not. Are you grounded in your faith? Able to give chapter and verse and back up your position? Are you convinced of your convictions? Are you settled? Are you secure? Do your principles guide you, or do circumstances guide you? Three, or C, are you capable of counseling from the Bible? Can you give it biblical advice from the Word of God? Not your own personal opinion, but when someone comes to you, well, I, I'm telling you, you need to do this and this. Okay, show it to me. <clears throat> Can you do that? If you can't do that, you're really not ready to be called to ministry. I, I think we're, we're just, we are, we're playing games today. Do you realize, do you realize the depth of schooling and education that the men of God had back in the 1800s? They spent six and eight years learning the Word of God before they would ever be commissioned to go out and preach and pastor. And today, we throw somebody in a little part-time Bible college and send them out after three years thinking they're going to just prosper? Are you concerned enough about souls to reach out consistently with the gospel? Not just on soul winning times. I'm not talking about that. But other times. And E, are you confident in Christ again? Decision-making and direction. You got confidence. Christ directing you, leading you. Nothing about do you teach a Sunday school class. Nothing about you run a bus route. Nothing about working in VBS or singing in the choir or doing specials. has nothing to do with any of this. Anybody can do that. Even a lost person can do that. God is not concerned in what you do as much as he is with who you are. And that's what we're looking for. That's what God desires. And that's the only way this work's going to get accomplished. It's the only way. The philosophy is faithful men being sent out to birth, to build, to equip, and then to exit or to expand. That's it. Work to be available. Prepare to be available. God may never call you to do this. At least not in the full time, like go out and do pastor or preach or start a church. But be prepared. Put yourself in a position to be that man that God can call at any time. Just like that. Because in the end, whether he calls you or not, your wife will thank God for you. Your children will praise you. And the church will be blessed by you if you are that man. Father, we come.